Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about Hope and our weekend worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. Today's message comes from Senior Associate Pastor Eli Morris. A blessed Palm Sunday uh, to you, the beginning of Holy Week. Um, I, I've, we've got some palm fronds here, or some palm branches. The, the palm branch signifies a number of things. It signifies victory. Uh, it also uh, signifies uh, uh, eternal life. It, is, it signifies peace. You know, our images of Jesus are often images of Jesus in crowds, isn't that so? We visualize the Sermon on the Mount with this huge crowd of people hanging on Jesus' words. He, he feeds 5,000 people one day. And on Palm Sunday, you know, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey with thousands cheering him on, and they're, they're placing these, these palm branches uh, before him as he comes into town. Here's the account of that occurrence uh, in Mark 11, beginning of verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came uh, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. It's just a loner. Uh, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. There were crowds around Jesus all the time. But you know what? When it's all said and done, Jesus was very much a one-on-one -on -one kind of guy. You see, Jesus engaged with the masses, but his greatest impact was always one-on-one. -on -one. If you're familiar with the Gospels at all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you can probably identify several significant one-on-one -on -one encounters that Jesus had with people. Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus and the rich young ruler, Jesus and Zacchaeus. Today we're gonna to take a look at probably Jesus' most theological one-on-one -on -one encounter. And don't, don't let that scare you, theology has a way of intimidating people. But the essence of what Jesus says in this passage and throughout scriptures, generally simple enough for a child to understand and profound enough to transform the life of an adult of an adult. In John 3, Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And we pick this up in the first verse. After dark one night, a, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a member of the sect of the Pharisees, came for an interview with Jesus. Sir, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miracles are proof enough of this. And Jesus replied, with all the earnestness I possess, I tell you this, unless you are born again, you can never get into the kingdom of God. Born again, 
exclaimed Nicodemus. What, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, what I'm telling you so earnestly is this. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Men can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it will go next, so it is with the Spirit. We do not know on whom he will next bestow this life from heaven. What, what do you mean, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you, you, a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't, don't understand these things? I, I'm telling you what I know and have seen, and yet you won't believe me. But if you don't even believe me when I tell you about such things as these that happen here among men, how can you possibly believe if I tell you what is going on in heaven? For only I, the Messiah, have come to earth and returned to heaven again. And as Moses in the wilderness lifted up the bronze image of a serpent on a pole, even so I must be lifted up upon a pole so that anyone who believes in me will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So who, who was this man, Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus can be identified in a couple of ways, and the first is this. The first is this. Nicodemus was seen by others as an expert in spiritual things. Seen by others as an expert in spiritual things. Are you an expert at anything? If you, if you are, you know what a dangerous place that is to be. Everyone wants to ask the medical or the automotive or the uh, financial expert, a few questions, always. This, this week I, um, I hunted for a few experts online, online and I found uh, some very interesting ones there. Here's the first one, uh, hypnosis consultation. It says, have a complete mind overhaul. Lord knows I need that, certainly. Have a complete mind overhaul in the following areas. Smoking, drinking, phobias. You can love away fat. I'm gonna give you all this number in just a minute. You can love away fat, stress, fears, and memory. You know, my memory's going on its own. I don't really need any help. You know, I used to think it's so odd that George Foreman named all his children George. Listen, George Foreman is a genius. <laughs> He's a genius. If you don't believe me, listen to me call my kids or my grandkids. I scroll through all their names till I finally hit the right one. All right, here's another expert. It's a weight loss center, and I love their motto most of all. It says, no job too big. Okay. Here's one more. It's for an industrial supply company. It says, uh, 29 years of expert service. We specialize in I-Ignitron high-pressure sodium lamps and retrofit kits. Okay, for the record, I understood the word lamp and kits. That's all I got. Nicodemus was an expert. He knew all the language in his field. 
John 3, 1 says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was of, of the spiritual elite, the Navy SEALs of religious leaders. Now, Pharisees means separated ones, and, and, and some of them wore that title like a badge. They were understood to be the guardians of the law of Moses and the oral traditions of the elders, and they were sometimes so zealous in keeping the law that their lives became lives of hypocrisy. Any idea of a loving and gracious God could be lost in the overpowering image of a God of vengeance and a God of the law. But there's no doubt that in the world of Nicodemus, he was seen as an expert. But Nicodemus was a unique expert. There are experts who think that they know everything. And so they try to figure out any way in the world they can work their field of expertise into any conversation. And then there are experts who know their limitations. For, for almost 50 years, Reverend W.C. Holmes was the pastor of Beulah Baptist Church on the corner of Grand and Douglas in Orange Mound. For eight years, I led a Young Life Club out of his church daycare center. Reverend Holmes became a mentor for me during those years. I learned more sitting with him in his office at Beulah than I ever learned in seminary. One day I was sitting with Reverend Holmes in his office when we heard the screech of tires and a crash and metal outside the office window. And upon investigation, we could see there had been a, a pretty nasty accident right on the corner there at Grandin Douglas. Moments later, later, we hear one of the neighbors run in the door of the church screaming, call Reverend Holmes, call Reverend Holmes. And Reverend Holmes stood up slowly and he walked across the room. He opened his office, office door and he hollered back, Call an ambulance. <laughs> Call an ambulance. I mean, he prayed for him and everything, but he, he was not an expert at that point. <laughs> Reverend Holmes was an expert who knew his limitations. Nicodemus knew his limitations as well. This great expert in Jewish law had come up short when he came to figuring out Jesus. This great teacher, Nicodemus, was what all great teachers are. This teacher was a student. So while others may have seen him as an expert on spiritual things, Nicodemus saw himself as a student of spiritual things. And so this great man of knowledge sought out Jesus for a knowledge he did not possess. He, he says in verse two, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. He knew there was something there. So we know who Nicodemus was. What did Nicodemus need? He needed a couple things. First of all, Nicodemus needed some personal attention. Did, did you notice how he approached Jesus? John 3, 2 says, late one night, late one night he visited Jesus. What's he sneaking around at night for? Now, now, those who have been, have been scholars, there have been scholars who have tried to theologize his actions by saying that Nicodemus came at night to illustrate his own spiritual darkness. Okay. That's a little bit of a stretch for me. In my mind, our friend Nicodemus was just being careful. He didn't much want the whole town to know he was talking to Jesus. And frankly, you know, his approach is not so far removed from the way that many of us have come to Jesus. 
we had some questions. So we slipped into church one weekend looking for answers. Maybe we came in late and left early, but we made the effort to investigate. Maybe some of you online are doing the same thing. Well, that's what Nicodemus was doing. He was a guy full of questions, and Jesus would prove himself to be a guy full of answers. So Nicodemus needed some personal attention. What else did he need? Nicodemus needed the bottom line. He needed the bottom line, and Jesus gives him just that. Jesus cuts immediately to the chase in verse 3 when he says, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus asked two questions in this passage. But he, he, really, he really just asked one. In verse 4 he says this, How can a man be born when he is old? And in verse 9, he asked for a clarification of Jesus' answer. He says, how can this be? How can this be? The 11 verses that follow are the gospel, the good news. In the darkness of that Jerusalem night, Jesus looks into the eyes of Nicodemus, and he tells him the greatest truth of the ages. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Nicodemus, for all his knowledge as a great religious man, as a leader, as a teacher, for all that Nicodemus was intellectually, he was still 18 inches from heaven, the distance from a mind that knows to a heart that believes. Do you know a lot about God? Is this story about Nicodemus just one of the hundreds of stories you know from the Bible? Now, don't get me wrong. To be a student of the faith is admirable. It's good. I was sitting in the courtyard at Fuller Theological Seminary a couple years ago where I went to school. All around me were men and women who were very intentional students of the faith. They were talking in groups about the faith. They were hunkered down over the Bible and, about, and over books about the faith. But if your knowledge of God is merely head knowledge, you're missing the point of the gospel. Because until your head knowledge turns into heart knowledge, your faith is an empty shell. So what will we find in our lives when our head knowledge turns to heart knowledge? Well, we find a lot of things. But let me just mention three of the most wonderful things that we'll find. First of all, when our head knowledge turns to heart knowledge, we find a father. We find a father. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. A father who gave his son. There's a, there's a story told of two men appearing before a meeting of the National Baptist Convention, a large historic denomination in the U.S., the first, a recent seminary grad, takes the podium to read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and his assurance and his beautiful articulation earned him amens and even a, a bit of polite applause. Later in the program, the second man, up in years and, and frankly illiterate, speaks for a few minutes and then finds himself revisiting that passage from the Psalms, but he can't read it. So he recites it, and he recites it with power 
and he recites it through tears. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And when he's finished, the audience erupts. They stand, they fill the hall with a thunderous ovation. Mystified, the young man pulls the old man aside, aside and says, what was the difference? And the old man smiles and says, you know the poem, but I know the shepherd. We have a chance to know the shepherd, not just to know of him, to claim him as father and to know him as such. When your head knowledge turns to, your, to heart knowledge, you will find a father. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the second thing. We find a family. We find a family. Life is hard, and it is near impossible without relationships. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When head knowledge becomes heart knowledge, you find a family. This week has been a tough week in the family of faith. Some of us here have lost loved ones, some very tragically. Some of us here have lost jobs. Some are worried sick about their children. Some have gone to the doctor this week and the, the test results are still ringing in their ears. The event at Covenant Christian School in Nashville has troubled all of us all week. An old friend of mine is a teacher and the chaplain of that school and was there when the tragedy occurred. I texted him that night and he was devastated. And, and who does God give us to act as his arms of comfort in such a time? Certainly he gives us the Holy Spirit, but he gives us the family of faith. He gives us one another. Let me, let me tell you what I see all the time. Often when I, when I make trips to the hospital, I'm a day late and a dollar short. Why? Because you, the family of faith, had beat me there. For, for Christians who are connected to other Christians, those other Christians beat the pastor and the ambulance to the hospital. We will find a father. We will find a family and we will find a future. Now the day-to-day -day particulars of my future are, are, are uncertain. And quite frankly, most of the time they are unimportant to me. I, I, I quit trying to figure out those things a long time ago. But my future is very certain in two areas. I'm certain of an eternity with God, and I'm certain of an adventure on this planet. Our scripture today speaks to my eternal security, the first one. He who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Heaven is mine. Heaven is mine, but I can't spend my life on this earth with my head in the sky. If I do, I miss out on the adventure of life in Christ, in the right here and now. What, what, what does our life look like after we come to know Christ? 30 years ago, this very week, I was preaching at Hope. We were at ECS at the time. 
I was preaching at Hope, and just prior to my sermon, I, I paused and I prayed for a friend of mine who was lost in a terrible blizzard in East Tennessee. He had not been heard from in several days, and we were all very worried about him. So I prayed, and after my prayer, I preached. I preached on, on the story of the Good Samaritan. And the import of my sermon was that everybody who walked past the injured traveler in Luke 10 knew what the right thing was to do, but only one man, the Good Samaritan, did the right thing. My plea to all of us was just do it. We know what to do, just do it. I was preaching, man. I mean, I knocked that thing out of the park that day. <clears throat> well, that evening, I'm sitting at home when one of our members calls me from his car and says, listen, I'm worried about your friend and I'm on my way to the Smoky Mountains to look for him. I was calling to see if you wanted to go. <laughs> Seriously? I mean, what? Uh, no, man, we're watching the Golden Girls over here. I can't go. <laughs> I mean, what was I supposed to say? I was supposed to say no. I mean, this was, this was my friend. It was not his friend. 12 hours later, I'm sitting in a helicopter flying over the smoky searching for Bob. Why? Because a believer took this Good Samaritan thing to heart and our experience became another piece of that great adventure we call the Christian life. You will find a father, you will find a family, you will find a future, and here's the question of the day. Are you a foot and a half from heaven? Have you been able to move your knowledge of God those difficult 18 inches from your head to your heart? Because it's a question we all gotta ask ourselves. Some of us have asked it and answered it. Some of us are there. Some of us have at least asked it, but we still wrestle with the answer. And some of us are really just hearing the question for the very first time today, are you a foot and a half from heaven? So, so, so there stood Nicodemus that night in Jerusalem. Jesus had, had long since clasped his hand and walked away. And Nicodemus was alone with his thoughts. The last recorded mention of Nicodemus is found in the 19th chapter of John. Jesus had been crucified. A soldier had thrust a spear in his side. He had been lowered from the cross. And we pick up the story in verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And then Nicodemus, the Pharisee, Nicodemus, the inquirer, laid his Savior in a tomb that would never hold him. What are you doing with Jesus today? 
Have you traveled those 18 inches from head to heart? And if you have, are you living the adventure? Are you drawing upon the same power that moved the stone and left the death linens in a pile in the tomb? If not, this Easter season can mean new life to you. The same life that Nicodemus found is there for us. By the way, Bob is fine. I talked to him last week. He's alive and well. Our helicopter didn't find him that day, but he was found that very day. And when I told this story originally, you know, 30 years ago, uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell anybody what happened to Bob. All week long, people were calling, hey man, what's up with Bob? Is he, did he make it? He's good. Let's pray together. Father God, this week, it's really all about this week for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers. And in the busyness of the week, you know, we gotta go to, we gotta go to work, we got a, a, a funeral we gotta go to, we gotta look for a job, we gotta do a bunch of things this week. But Father, I pray that we might take some time and think about that question. Have we moved those 18 inches from head knowledge about you to heart knowledge about you. And if we have, let's celebrate it. Father, there was a lot of celebration that, uh, on, that, on that Palm Sunday, a lot of screaming and hollering and hosannas and, and that thing took a horrible turn a few days later. But we all know what happened a week from today. Great victory and we can share in it. We pray in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Openeisen, musical worship director. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe wherever you stream your podcast. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship service, visit our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.